How are you? Please forgive me if I don't live up to you guys. Uh, well, welcome to Parkview. My name is Casey Tiger, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor here. I am also part of the teaching team, and I'm excited to be a part of this series called God Is. We're talking about the characteristics of God, and one of the reasons we're doing that is because we believe that we all were created for a relationship with Him. We believe that we were created to be in relationship with God. And if you're going to have a solid relationship with somebody, you really need to know what they're all about. You, know who, you need to know who they really are down at their core. Now, to me, this is one of the problems with online dating. Now, listen, I know there are some of you out here who have done really well. Uh, you found a spouse. You found someone you're very happy with. Kudos to you. But there's a real challenge in that because on the Internet, you don't have to be who you really are. That's why the internet is so cool. You can be whoever you want to be. Guys, you can put up a picture that makes you look like Brad Pitt when you really look more like Boss Hogg. Do I have any more Dukes of Hazard fans? Yes. Ladies, you can put up a picture that makes you look like Fergie when in fact you look more like Snooky. It's just the balance of those two. But sometimes, every once in a while, in one of these online dating surveys, the truth of who someone really is comes out, and especially when they do it on video. Take a look. So I am a recent um, MBA grad from Villanova. Um, I love cats. Um, I just... Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I love cats. Um, I love every kind of cat. <laughs> Sorry, I just... I really love cats, and I just want to hug all of them, but I can't, because that's crazy. I can't hug every cat, but I just want to. I want to. I want to. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I get, anytime I hear cat, I just, I love cats. Um, ooh, how is my phone? I want to cry. Um. So anyway, I am a cat lover, um, and I love to run. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about cats again. I just, I think about how many don't have a home, and how I should have them. And how cute they are, and their ears, and the whiskers, and the nose. I just love them, and I want them, and I want them in a basket, and I want little bow ties. I want them to be on a rainbow, and just in my bed, and I just want a house full of them, and I just want to still roll around. Somebody get that woman a cat, or six, or whatever. Well, you know, it's right. You, you now know what's going on there, right? You still may not want to go out with her, but at least you know the score. You know it's clear. And so as we've talked through this series of God is, it's getting to know who God is. What is God really like? And, and for this message, I, I have to tell you, to talk about the fact that God is justice has been a very difficult time of preparation. If I can you know, switch gears. 
It's been a very difficult time of preparation because to know what justice is, you have to stare injustice straight in the eye. And so I asked our missions pastor, Sean, I asked him for some statistics. And I sat down with these reports and I read these reports and after I was done, I went and had lunch with a friend. And I'm sitting across from him and I just had to look up and I had to apologize to him. I said, I, I'm sorry, I, I just can't even focus right now. And here's why. This is why I was so distracted. Statistics say that 300,000 youth are at risk of being sexually exploited for commercial uses. 300,000 youth. 300,000 children are at risk. Children are at risk for trafficking into the sex industry. Children as young as, girls as young as five and six are being forced to do sexual acts for economic gain by their pimp. Five and six. There's a recent story that talked about a lady who traded her three-year-old son to two men for some really, really indescribable reasons for cocaine. I mean, injustice, when you start looking it in the eye, is a very, very dark thing. But the reason I was really distracted by these stats is because these aren't global stats. These are United States stats. 300,000 children in this country at risk This is not some other third world country. This is our backyard. This is Massachusetts. This is Vermont. This is Michigan. This is Illinois. This is really, really close to us. And so when you hear that, the question that comes to my mind, and hopefully the question that comes to yours is, if God is justice, then what is this injustice about? If that's one of the characteristics of who he is, then what is justice really? There's a passage in Scripture that Jesus uses to talk about this, and I want to walk through it with you. And hopefully we'll come to some conclusions as to how God is justice. The passage is in Matthew chapter 25. And it's a very interesting place in the Bible because the disciples have just asked Jesus, tell us what it's going to be like at the end of the world. At the end of the age is the phrase they use, but there's all kinds of different words for it. When everything gets put back together, when God finally has his way, what are things going to look like? As a matter of fact, this is how he, they ask it. They say, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This is a very important question. What is it going to look like when everything is done for? What is it going to look like when God finally has his way? What's it going to look like at the end? What is the end of this movie that we're all a part of? Cubs fans do this every single year. The mystery about what the end of the season is. Maybe this will be the year. We're all past that now, aren't we? Can we, can we close that chapter? But the disciples ask Jesus, what will it look like when God finally has his way? When, and we all know this question. It's the question we have. It's a question that's deep within us, even though we're trying to sort of struggle through every single day. What we're asking ourselves is, what will happen when someone finally says enough to the injustice that we see? What will happen more specifically when God finally says enough? And just in case you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus or you're not a Christian, this isn't just a Christian question. This is a human question. Take a look at Mark Ruffalo, who's an actor, has no affiliation with Christianity. Look at his opinion on what I'm talking about. Check it out. I think social justice is 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 probably the uh, the very uh, essence of of all of the great kind of spiritual teachings throughout the world um, that um, 
that is my brother, that you are a thou, and that, uh, and that um, without that justice there can't be any greater justice. It's the basis of all democracy as well. Couldn't be more democratic in a way. It's uh, really, um, it's really allowing each person to uh, to live as fully a life as as, as their being born has promised them. And so uh, I see it at the base of of all things that are decent in the human heart, in a way. This is the question. Someone else, another person, has been built and born and designed to have a fuller life than they actually are. So what's going to happen? When is that going to come together? And this is what the disciples are asking. And here is Jesus' answer in fantastic broad strokes. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, this is what he says. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on the throne with heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left every person that has ever been born or ever will be born will be brought together and they'll be separated out now everybody listening to this story had an understanding of what Jesus was talking about because the Jews throughout their history had been referred to by God as the sheep they were God's sheep he was their shepherd and they were his people and they were his special protected group and then there was this other group of people called the Gentiles who were just outsiders they were outside of what God was going to do so when they all heard what that was being said they would have assumed two things one sheep means Jews two goats means Gentiles it means all those people who are outside the law, all those people who are not doing it the way they're supposed to be doing it. And when they heard the phrases left and right, they would have made some conclusions. The right side is where you want to be. The right side is the place where good people go. The left side is where the bad people See, even in the Bible, left-handers were a little wicky. Right hand is where you want to be. Left side is where you don't want to be. And I alienated half of you. So where those things they would have kept in their mind. And so when Jesus starts this, he immediately sets them on a place. There are the sheep here and the goats here. And then he'll look at the people on his right in 2534, the king will say to those to his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. He says, It's time for you to take your inheritance, the thing that you've been promised. To say that this is a big deal would be a really big understatement. This is what they'd all been hoping for. This was what they had all been wishing for. The finally God's inheritance would come. Finally God's kingdom would come. Finally God would say enough to all the injustice and pain and sorrow and death and he would set everything right. So he says, all you on the right, you come and take what I have prepared for you. Take what God has promised you. You can come and live in this kingdom. But I can't point hard enough to what Jesus is about to say. Because it's probably the most important thing he does in this entire passage. It's revolutionary. And if we leave with, with this, it's going to be tremendous. He says, come and take your inheritance for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Sit with that for a minute. They say, what's it going to look like when the world ends, Jesus? Jesus says, they're going to be sheep. They're going to be goats. The sheep are going to get in. And the reason the sheep are going to be in is because when they saw 
the worthless, the broken, those without value, those kicked to the side, those pushed to the bottom, when they saw them, they did something about it. And so these righteous, the Bible calls them righteous, but that word can also mean just. The righteous look at him and they go, really? Huh. Well, when was this? Was this last Thursday? I don't remember that. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now the word least there doesn't mean small like short. It means of lesser value. All the statistics that I read to you earlier, those statistics, most of them apply to kids who are called runaways or throwaways. They were kids who had been moved out of importance in society. They were people who had been moved out of importance in society. They were the broken, the worthless, the people who had nothing to contribute, whether it was financially or intellectually. They were the ones who were pushed to the side. And Jesus says, whatever you allowed to happen, whatever you did, whatever you didn't do, for those of lesser value, you've done it to me, the children, the poor, and the marginalized. So what Jesus is saying is, wherever those people are, is where I am. That's where you'll find me. And so whatever happens to them, happens to me. So take that into mind, because you, the sheep, you were the ones who were there. You found us where we were. Now, the folks who are thinking sheep, sheep and goats in traditional terms would have said, no, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait, what? But they didn't, you didn't say anything about law. You didn't say anything about being righteous. You, you said the people who found you in the, in the worthless and the broken, they're the ones that take the inheritance. Really? And Jesus flips and says, goats, get away from me because you're cursed. Because you see, you saw the broken, the worthless, the marginalized, those of lesser value, and you did nothing. You walked away, you let whatever was going to happen to them by society, you let it happen. You walked away, you stopped paying attention, you closed your eyes, whatever you did to them. And they asked the same question, well, when did this happen? Was that Thursday? I know where I was Thursday. And Jesus says, whatever you've done, Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. Because you didn't see me in the hungry, in the naked, in the thirsty, in the sick, in the strangers. You didn't, you didn't even see me there. And then he slams it home. He says, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The goats will go away and the sheep will come in. Now, is Jesus saying that the only thing you need to do to go to heaven is to help the homeless? He's not saying that. There's nothing we can do to earn heaven. What he's saying is, you'll miss heaven entirely if you miss the poor, the broken, the marginalized. If you miss them, you miss the kingdom because that's where Jesus is. So when we start talking about the fact that God is justice, it makes sense because that's where Jesus lives. Jesus lives among the people who have no justice given to them. He lives with the people who injustice has visited every single day of every single week. Now, look, I don't, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty in this room. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that because we all care. But Jesus, Jesus, he knew them. Shane Claiborne once said that the problem is, is not that we don't care about the poor. Everybody cares about the poor. He said the problem is we don't know the poor. They're a massive group to us. They don't have names. 
But Jesus is amongst them and he knows their names and he knows their stories and their families. And he brings justice by simply being with them. When you're around somebody, you can't help but see the world through their eyes. You see new things that you didn't see before. My wife almost went on a nationwide letter-writing campaign to all senators who would listen. And here's why. We had a child, and one day she found herself straddling a public toilet, trying to change our daughter on a shelf that was made to hold fake flowers. Anybody, you ever, any of you ever done this? You found a flat surface that sufficed to change your child? She wanted to go on a campaign and say every restaurant in this state and every state needs one of those little changing table things in the bathroom. Because until you're there, you don't know what those things are for. I used to walk by them and go, oh, that's pretty cool. Then you see them and you're like, honey, there is one in here. Come on. Until you get around that situation, you don't, you don't know what it's like. You don't understand what's going on there. The reality is, is Jesus was living with those who were experiencing injustice. Jesus is there, present. And that should give us tremendous amounts of hope. Because here's the deal. If you're here in this room and you've been raped or abused, Jesus was with you and is with you. He was holding your hand and will bring you through. If you're struggling with poverty, Jesus is with you. If you're struggling with alcoholism, Jesus is throwing away your empties. If you're struggling physically, mentally, or emotionally, Jesus is there to hold your hand through the chemo and the sleepless nights. Jesus is there when we are experiencing injustice, when we are experiencing brokenness and pain. He's there with us. The reason why is because Jesus was a conduit for injustice. Think about how he died. The way Jesus died was the most unjust thing that may have ever happened in history. He was convicted for crimes he didn't commit. He was convicted by a foreign court that was swayed by public opinion. He experienced cruel and unusual punishment beyond the typical death penalty. Jesus knows what injustice is, and therefore he can stand back and go, that, in the parlance of where I grew up in West Virginia, that there ain't right. He can point out injustice and say, this is the place where I'm going to go. These are the people I want to be with. So if you've experienced it, if you're a victim of it, Jesus is with you and wants to carry you through. But also, if you're a person who believes in Jesus, we need to be with him in places where injustice continues to go on. The only hope we have in this world for the chaos and the brutality of broadcast news is the justice of God because it's where we see the very face of Jesus, because the one thing we could take away is God is justice because justice is the biggest, most beautiful, brightest outpouring of love that you could ever possibly see. Justice comes from the root of what it means to love. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he didn't say go to church. He didn't say stop sinning. He didn't say stop swearing. He didn't say give more. He didn't say even serve more. Here's what he said. It's not just those things. It's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was asked what's the most important thing, he said two things and put them on the same level. Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is the loving God thing is usually easier 
Because it's this inside thing that happens with us. We can just do business with God in our heart. It's just me and Jesus walking around in the garden together. But there's this whole other side to it. There's this whole loving your neighbor thing. And not just the people who live next to you, who their dog keeps coming over on the yard. You know what I'm saying? You just buy a wolverine. That'll take care of it. But that last phrase is very important. Loving your neighbor as yourself is just as important as loving God with everything that you have. And we miss that. And the reality is that's a justice thought. And Jesus gets pressed on this and said, tell us more about this. And he tells a story. A story of the Good Samaritan. If you've never read it, it's a justice story. It's a story about a guy who is broken, beaten, worthless on the side of the road and someone comes to love him and to help him. It's a justice story. So when Jesus is asked, what does it mean to love my neighbor? He says, do justice to him. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it really looks like. There's this church in Kansas, and you've heard us refer to it several times, Westboro Baptist Church, and they are notorious for picketing. And they picket with signs like this. God hates America, God hates your idols, all sorts of other horrible slurs. And they really think that they're doing the right thing because they're supposedly calling out people that are unrighteous. But they're not loving. There's nothing loving about them. They're goats. And the reason why is because they've separated two very important Bible words. One is righteousness, the other one is justice. Because a lot of times the righteousness thing is doing the right thing and being the right person in God's eyes. And that's easy. The loving our neighbor thing is the difficult part. So they're really good at the heart stuff, the doctrine stuff, but they're very bad at the loving stuff. But the reality is in the Bible, those two words, righteousness and justice, are often the exact same word in the Greek. So when God says righteousness and justice he means both the stuff that happens inside you and also the stuff that you do to your neighbor and to the man you pass on the street and to that person that you know is experiencing injustice richard stearns is the president of world vision which is a group that deals with hunger and poverty globally he says that being a follower of jesus requires much more than just having a personal relationship with god it also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. Loving our neighbors ourselves means that when they're helpless and broken, and they're feeling worthless, and their value has been taken with them, we see Jesus there, and we bring justice to them. We live righteously when we show justice to those people who are in desperate need. There's a group of us who were together in Washington, D.C., and we were walking through a particularly dark part, and there was a homeless guy that came up and talked to us, and he asked us for money. And one of my well-meaning friends walked up to him and said, well, you know, it'd be better if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I can lead you through that prayer. You see, because we're all sinners, and we're all saved by grace. And the guy sort of nodded along, and he was very kind to him. And at the end, he said, so, so do you want that? And the guy said, well, it sounds great, but... At the end of the day, I still have to find a place to sleep and I still need to find something to eat. So that's great that this is going to happen here, but what are you going to do about this other part of my life? See, that's where righteousness and justice go hand in hand. Justice comes from the fact that the greatest act God ever did was to rescue us. I'm a recipient of God's justice. Because when I was broken and worthless, a sinner, trash in the eyes of God, he came and he rescued me. Scripture says that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
We are the first recipients of justice, and that's why it's our job to carry it to those who are not receiving it. Honestly, he rescues us because a lot of times we replace justice with righteousness. Listen to what happened in the Old Testament. When they got really out of whack, it mostly was because they had forgotten these two things came together. Micah chapter 6 says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. They knew they were in trouble, so they thought they'd just do more God-type stuff. All right, you don't have to raise your hand, but we do it, don't we? When we feel like we're in trouble with God, we just feel like, well, if I go, I'll go to both services on Sunday. I'll pray just a little bit longer. I may even, like, if it's Christmas, Salvation Army, I made $2 instead of 1 or whatever. God says, you're in trouble, and the reason you're in trouble is not because of this other stuff. Forget the sacrifice. Forget all that stuff. Look, here's what you need to do. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. You need to, you need to understand that justice is a huge piece of my relationship with you. He does it again in the book of Amos. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. God, tell us how you really feel. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. So take away from me the noise of your songs, the melodies of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You want to make it up to me with good God stuff? Put it away. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let justice roll like waters and you'll find me there. And this isn't God being angry. God's just not being disgruntled. God is not that parent who just needs a little more fiber. God is not being angry. He's being specific. Because this, this justice that he's talking about, is not just good. It's God's dream for the world. It's that God has this idea of what the world was supposed to look like when he plunked Adam and Eve down. He knew what it was supposed to look like, and here's what it was. This is the world I had in mind. This is my dream for the world, God says. People battling suffering, people lifting each other out of the pit, people cleaning off the dirty and broken and beaten face of Jesus at every day, and hope being born in every single act. This is my dream for the world. I'm not just being bitter. I'm pitching you a better vision of what life could possibly be. Justice is love because it's the sweaty battle to rescue God's dream for the world. And Jesus takes the lead and we find him in the broken and the oppressed. There's a speaker named Tony Campolo. And once he was in Haiti... And he was going to his hotel and two child prostitutes walked up to him. And they basically said as well as they could in their broken language, would you like us to show you a good time? He didn't know how old they were. They were way too young to be doing what they were doing. They shouldn't have been doing it anyway. So as a good, loving Christian man, he said, absolutely. He said, you come back in 20 minutes. And so Tony went into the hotel and he picked up the phone and he called the front desk and he says, I want three of the largest ice cream sundaes you could possibly make and give me every Disney film you have. 
And when those girls came back, they sat up all night and ate ice cream and watched Disney, and he gave them back what, they had been, what had been stolen from them, which was their childhood. This is the beauty of God's justice exploding forth. But you know what the sad thing is? All the goats, when he came back to the country, jumped on him and said, don't you know it's wrong to consort with prostitutes? He said, Jesus was there. Jesus was there. In the faces of those girls, Jesus was there. And you're a goat. So what's it matter? And honestly, the reality about justice is that anytime something of love comes about, it's messy. Love is a messy thing. And so if we get involved in justice, you've got to understand, when you find yourself where Jesus is, it's not going to be clean and easy. Justice doesn't vote along party lines. Justice doesn't always match what our families think we should do. Justice never fits easily into our schedule. Justice will never be cheap, and it's a wonder if it is, if it's even justice in the first place. Justice has no office hours, no job description, and sometimes no definite completion date. The reality is, when we get involved with justice, when we get involved with people who are broken and marginalized and oppressed, it's messy. But Jesus is there. Jesus is there. There's a friend of mine named Carrie who let me use her story, and I'm grateful for that. Carrie's father was an abusive guy and was abusing his mo- her mom and was abusing her brother, and it trickled down, and her brother began abusing her. And so she spent a lot of time in her childhood bitter and angry at God, at her parents, And she finally found a church, and this is her story when she finds this church. She said, there was a life of freedom and love that was being shown to me through the church that I'd never encountered before. While I was being exposed to this new life and this new safe family, my own family was continuing to spiral out of control. In response to my chaotic and poisonous home life, I discovered an anger and a hatred and a bitterness that I'd never experienced before. My anger burned against this injustice that I had been dealt. I was angry at everyone, including God, for giving me that kind of home life. I became a hateful, bitter, angry, aggressive teenager. I was furious at the injustice I'd been facing in my life. As I was trying to deal with my own injustice through my newfound rage, God showed up again. And through his love, he showed me that you cannot meet injustice with injustice. He sent me a young couple who led me through my rage, and they became the Christian family that I craved. This couple helped me raise out of my anger and my frustration, and they taught me that only God's love and forgiveness can be the answer to injustice that I was facing. And I was, I was mentored by this couple. I went through a process of forgiveness with my family. I wrote a letter to my father, a letter of forgiveness to let go of my anger. And in my story, God's justice is not only fair, but it restores and it redeems. This is God's dream for the world, that when girls like Carrie find themselves in dark places, there's a church or a neighbor who believes in Jesus, who goes to her and finds her where she is and raises her up and takes her in so that there is no such things as runaways or throwaways anymore. So that those girls who would typically be involved in acts of sex trafficking and human trafficking, they would have someone who was on their side, somebody who was an advocate for them. That's God's dream for the world. That's where Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but I want to be there. 
I want to be where he is, doing what he's doing with the people he's with. We recently took my daughter to uh, the Museum of Science and Industry. It's been a long time since I told a story about her. Is that cool? Can we do that? And we were going to go see the Muppets. It was 3D extravaganza. And so we had been pumping her up, and this is a lesson learned. We'd been pumping her up the whole way there. Kermit's going to be there, and it's going to be awesome, and Miss Piggy, and woo! I think I was getting more excited than she was. And we get there, we get in, and, and they said, my wife said, Casey, why don't you go get in line and get, a ticket, get the tickets, and we'll go do the potty thing and find the, you know, all that stuff. And so they did their thing, and I went, and I got in line, and I said, well, we have three for the Muppets. And the lady looked at me, and she says, I have one. So we gave it to Bailey, and she went in, and it was incredible. She had a fun time by herself. And, and I said, you have one. She said, that's it for today, and we're sold out the rest of the week. Hi, honey. Um, yeah, I see the Muppets. Yeah, um, they're sold out. And, and you can imagine... The, the look on her face. She was crushed. The world had completely fallen apart. Nothing would ever be the same ever again. Planets were beginning to fall out of alignment. The chaos theory was in effect. A tsunami had been started in another country. And she melted. Granted, it's just the Muppets, but I, I kind of envision that when God sees injustice done to his children, that he has that same look on his face. That sort of broken, pained expression. And she just kept asking the question of why. And I wonder if God does the same thing. That's where Jesus is. Why does this continue? It continues because a lot of times we aren't pursuing Jesus where he is. So listen, if you're here and you've been broken and beaten by life, Jesus wants to lift you up. He wants to show you the beauty of his love. He wants to show you the justice that God can bring. So if you've been thinking about a commitment, if you've been thinking about getting rid of that stuff that's in your past, coming to Jesus, letting him reorder your life, justice is ready and waiting for you. If you're here and you've been abused, you've experienced injustice from the hand of another person, Jesus wants to walk with you. He wants to help you know what the next step is. Maybe you're here and you're the source of the injustice. Maybe you're abusing your family, your wife, your husband, your child, verbally, physically. The reality is Jesus came for sheep and goats alike. So if that's you, it's time to come clean. Don't miss the kingdom. Don't miss the greatest thing that could ever happen. Get some help. Get with somebody. Regardless of what the consequences are, it's much better than being the source of injustice. Recently, we had a group of students that took this challenge on very seriously. A group of students who began to become convicted and convinced that this sex trafficking thing, and we've talked a lot about it in this message, but that it's a serious issue, and it's not the only issue, but it's a big one. 
And they took this on very seriously. And they began to partner with a group called Rafa House. And they created something called the Rafa House Salon. And so our students participated in this event to raise money, to give away, to help the cause of rescuing the poor, the broken, the marginalized, those who've been sold into sex slavery in other countries, to save them and to bring them hope and life. They planned it around their school dances and girls came to get their hair and their nails done and their makeup done and whatever they would have spent at another salon, they donated that so that it could be given to Rafa House to do the work that they're doing in Southeast Asia and other parts of the world. So I want to show you this because this is the creativity and the beauty of the dream that God has for the world, a world of justice. Take a look. So when people talk about Jesus coming back, you know, there's plenty of stuff in the Bible where it's a, it's a, it's a power. It's, it's angels of fire coming in and wiping out evil. And I get that. But as I was thinking about this whole subject of justice, I also thought, what if, what if Jesus had beside him the innocent? Those who had lived their lives experiencing injustice. What if they came with him in that quiet beauty that Jesus came into Jerusalem with, the quiet beauty that he went to the cross with, the quiet beauty with which he died and rose again. What if? What if? It's a powerful thing to think about. We do things a little bit differently. I'm going to ask the communion servers to head to the back and get ready for communion. We're going to spend a little bit of time singing a song an incredible a song I love called Hosanna. And the bridge of that song says, Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause, as I walk from earth into eternity. God wants to start an, an empowered, passionate, uncontrollable, unrestrainable, undeniable movement of justice in this world. And he wants us to be a part of it, and he leads the way. And so if we begin to think, who are our brothers and sisters who are our neighbors that we need to love? And how can we creatively bring justice into their world? What we will find is we will find ourselves face to face with this Jesus. When our hearts break for the things that break the heart of God, that destroy his dream for the world, we will find ourselves staring face to face with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's a wonderful place to be. Lord Jesus. I'm grateful for your justice, God. I'm grateful that you rescued me from the darkness, that you gave me life, that I didn't have to be enslaved to the things that had, had kept me down. I didn't have to be broken any longer, that you could, you could fix me. And I'm grateful for the brothers and sisters in this room who have been blessed by your justice. Let us remember that we've been given the body and the blood, the bread and the wine, not so that we can remember that we're religious or that we're righteous, but so we can remember that our neighbors are broken and they need your justice. Help us to seek them and to find them and to love them with the heart of the dream that you have for this world.
It's in your son's precious and beautiful and holy name, God, we pray. Amen. Amen.